Thanks, folks. Great to be here. Um, before we uh, get on to the Bible passage, if you're, we're back into Acts. Um, the series we're doing is A Church on Fire. Uh, the church was born at Pentecost, and that's where that imagery comes from. And tonight, we're going to be thinking about a holy church. Um, just um, as a way of introduction, I was... Um, Thinking about holiness, and um, in my exploration, some of you know about the Bible Project, and they have lots of really useful stuff. And one of the metaphors they use for holiness, which I think works for me, no metaphor is perfect, but it's an image of the sun, and the sun, um, I just, we just show it now, and hopefully you'll get the message, and I'll build on that a little bit later. These were images, I don't know whether you've seen them, um, but I think they were captured in 2020, July 2020, and NASA, I think European Space Agency got um, some sort of spacecraft, a bit too close for my liking, and took these amazing images. The sun, and I did try out a few people in the congregation a little bit earlier, particularly at the 11.30, um, I don't think anyone was around to work out when it was uh, created. It was four and a half billion years ago. At the heart of the sun, uh, it gets up to uh, 27 million degrees. On the edge, it's about 15 million degrees. It radiates heat and generates life. Uh, without the sun shining, our earth would be frozen. Without, without the sun, there'd probably be no oxygen, no plants, no animals, no me, no you. Um, so the sun's quite important. The Bible project uh, suggests that it's a wonderful image for the holiness of God. As life-giving as the sun is, if you get too close you're in mortal danger. One of the main attributes of God is holiness. Holiness, he's utterly unique. God's perfect and pure, glorious and radiant. God's the main source of life and love. We read in the Old Testament when Moses meets with God. He has to take off his sandals because he's on holy ground. There's other images of Isaiah with hot coals touching his lips because his lips are unclean and he's made pure. The Old Testament religious system emphasizes the need to be ritually and morally pure. 
the tabernacle in the Old Testament, the temple, was built with holiness in mind. I think Richard may have even mentioned this in his Good Friday talk, where he talked about the high priest going in once a year with a rope round his neck, just in case he got a bit too close for comfort, and ended up dying in the process so they could hoik the high priest out. It's dangerous, certainly in the Old Testament, and potentially deadly to be presumptuous and to approach God in a casual manner. God's desire, however, is for us to draw near to him, but he first draws near to us. In order to do this safely, God provides us the means and the grace and the covering to be able to do this. Jesus is the embodiment of holiness and purity. He entered our world, his glory veiled with his loving self-sacrifice on the cross to make guilty people like you, I should have started with me, me and you clean. Because of God's holiness, without his grace and protection, if anything impure gets close to him, it can't survive. We need to be clothed with, uh, I suppose, perfect fire protection gear, garments, special garments, uh, dressed, if you like, in Jesus' holiness. 1 Peter 1 says this, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, because it's written, Be holy, because I am holy. The idea of holiness tracks right through the Bible to the book of Revelation. And we, the church, are called to be holy. And the good news is, however you're feeling this evening, you're going to be presented with the rest of the church as pure and spotless in God's presence. And I think we've approached that throne this evening in worship. God is going to welcome us and make it possible for us uh, to be present and alive in his presence. We're going to have um, a reading now, and Grace is going to come and read it to us. Um, from Acts 5, 1 to 16, um, it might be worth following it if you've got it on your phone, or if anyone needs a Bible, we can get that to you. But Acts 5, 1 to 16, be on the screen as well. Now a man named Ananias, Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but he brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And the great fear seized all who heard, heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped, his, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? 
Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together at Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added in their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed. Crowds gathered also from the, also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their, bringing their sick and also those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think that's the most convincing thanks be to the Lord that we've had today. There's been quite a muffled response uh, when people have been listening to that reading a little bit earlier on. Um, It's shocking, but thinking of shocking things in the Bible, we don't need to look too much further than the last few days of Jesus and what happened to him and what happened on the cross. If we're thinking of shocking stuff, look at what happened to many of the first believers, the apostles or to Stephen, who was stoned to death. But I have to say, um, the story of Ananias and Sapphira ranks for me as one of the more shocking uh, accounts in the New Testament. Um, It's interesting that it's not been airbrushed out. In preparation for this evening, I was thinking about Jesus and this whole theme of holiness and him coming into the temple and clearing out the money changers and those that were selling dodgy animals for sacrifice. And in in John 2, um, it says this, verse 18, the religious community asked, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? They were a little bit shocked. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. The temple he was talking about wasn't um, stones, although that was raised to the ground. The temple he was talking about was his body that was going to be killed on the cross and raised a few days later. Now... Post-Pentecost, the bodies of all Christians, that's your body and my body, are called to be temples of God's Holy Spirit. That should maybe affect what we do with our bodies. When it comes to temples... Old and New Testament and current day temples, you and me, holiness matters. What we say and what we do matters. The early church had witnessed Pentecost. Some had seen signs and wonders. People being cut to the heart and repenting as a result of hearing the message of the good news of the gospel. Believing and those who'd been facing away from God turning towards him. They were preaching a loving 
but radical message. They were living radical lives, sharing with others in need. In this rarefied climate, chapter 5 of Acts, Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a field uh, and um, the price uh, sold a piece of property. With this and his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. The apostle Peter had a spiritual gift to know stuff. How would it feel to be in a room where folks knew stuff about you that only God knows? Even more scary, how about one of us had that gift and started calling it out? Ananias died as a result, closely followed by his wife. Maybe the shock that God and Peter new stuff about them. I've got four questions prompted by the passage. So here goes. I hope you can stay on the journey. A question about the nature of God. A question about the judgment of God. A question about the generosity of God's people. And a question about truth. So firstly... A question about the nature of God. Christian doctrine teaches that it's the same God in the Old Testament than the New Testament. There was a heresy called Marcionism, which tried to separate God, rejecting the God of the Old Testament, and he... Uh, out of convenience, I think, wanted to reject quite a bit of stuff he didn't like about the New Testament as well. But just to create this separation, embracing the selective parts that he fancied, Marcion saw the God of the Old Testament as an oppressive dictator. Whilst some of the biblical accounts are harsh and brutal, um, no more so than the crucifixion. We know God personally as a loving God, a creator, a redeemer, a God that stopped at nothing to draw you and I into his family. A God who gave us the freedom to choose how to live and pursued us when we turned away. This God is a God of mystery. His ways are higher than our ways. And although uh, the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament, the same God, um, have some uncomfortable accounts, uh, we need not to separate them. The Old Testament teaches in Psalm 145, verse 8, that the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. The whole Bible teaches that there's one God, the early church, drawing on Old and New Testament evidence, describes him as one God in three persons. The early church taught that we believe in one God, a holy, powerful, benevolent, merciful, ever-present, all-knowing God. We believe that God is good all the time. And some of you will know the refrain, all the time, God is good. Good. 
We say these things, but we puzzle about these things. The truth remains the same. Second, the question about the judgment of God. Today's passage shares a a shocking expression of God's judgment in the early church. Was this God's direct or indirect intervention? Did God, the God you believe in, zap Ananias and Sapphira, or did they do it to themselves? Did they have a heart attack at being found out? Did their actions simply put themselves in harm's way? I know certainly some of my behaviours have put myself in harm's way, not God's fault. When you touch fire in an unprotected way, you burn. Were there outside spiritual forces at play? What's happening in their hearts? It suggested, like Judas Iscariot, that Satan entered their hearts. Christians mess up and sometimes mess up big time. I don't know the answer to this question, but were Ananias and Sapphira saved? So when they died, were they going to be with God eternally? I'd like to suggest some people who've messed up in a really big way and maybe even more uh, than Ananias and Sapphira are going to see you and me face to face in heaven because God's grace is bigger than some of our greatest failings, but he doesn't like our failings. He wants us to change and this holy God can bring about that change. It seems that God through Peter, is intervening early in the life of the early church. What we see here in Acts 5 is rare. I've not yet seen it happen in Claygate in one of our worship meetings. More often, we see God delaying judgment. And as the book of James reminds us, mercy triumphs over judgment. So this is more common an experience, and I've not incidentally heard an Ananias and Sapphira incident other than reading about it here, so don't worry. But speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If there's a God of love, He must be a God of justice. And we're going to need to give an account of our lives to him. Someone reminded me after this morning's sermon that uh, there is going to be a refiner's fine. There's going to be a lot of chaff, maybe in my life. I didn't say this in my life that might get burnt. But maybe in all of us. Oh, that there'd be precious stuff to bring before him. For Ananias and Sapphira, judgment came early. They brought it upon themselves, that's my view. And like the image of the sun, God's light can expose and refine impurities. I'd like to put it to you to invite God to do that in your life this evening. 
the holiness of God is life-giving, but his judgment is dangerous if we're not shielded by his mercy, which is what he offers all of us. Third question, a question about the generosity of God's people. Just as the people of God brought sacrifices and other offerings to the temple, the first Christian believers brought this to the leaders of their fellowship, their spiritual leaders. They weren't supposed to bring substandard stuff or to cheat God. After repentance and faith, it seems that worship and prayer held this community together, but generosity came quite closely behind because they needed to share their stuff. There wasn't um, a social security system that would look after them. They needed to look after their own, and in doing so, they were honoring God by loving the community, selling possessions, giving away possessions. Now, they didn't all have to sell their fields and all their possessions. The problem here was they said one thing and did another. But the challenge here is that when we come to God in worship, and this is quite a subtle one, so what I'm not saying is sell your houses and your fields and everything, but I am saying that when it comes to worship, it's recommended that you don't hold anything back, I think spiritually and emotionally, from God. This was their response to a God who gives and keeps on giving. Those who invest in the kingdom of God can expect great rewards in heaven. Ananias and Sapphira appear to be generous, but they were pretending. They probably wanted people to see, look how generous I am, but we know they were holding stuff back. There was a mismatch. And just um, to finish this section, some really sound advice from 2 Corinthians 9, if you want to know about giving. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Fourthly, a question about truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the source and embodiment of truth. John chapter 8. To the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 14, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I listen carefully. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus. We're called to be truthful to God. We're called to be truthful to others. We're called to be truthful in our families, truthful in our relationships, truthful in our dealings in business, in politics, in the media. Unless I've missed something, I think some people have had a truth bypass within society at the moment, we need to be quite careful about it. I'm also uh, fairly certain that in God's eyes and his hearing, half-truths or white lies aren't going to wash, really. God's interested in the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Yes, we can keep confidences, 
Um, and we don't have to blurt everything out, but it's far better to stay silent and to, to share things that we plainly know are wrong. Um, just one little story. A um, week and a half ago, I was actually cycling with someone that is here, but I got knocked off my bike by a car. And, um, uh, and I bounced off the bonnet onto the road, but actually I bounced up and I thought I was okay. And we thought, well, not sure about the bike. It had to be um, checked out a little bit. It didn't look like a lot of damage with the bike that I was riding. You can get sort of invisible cracks in it and it's just not wise to do it. So there was a policeman in a car just right there, witnessed it all. He heard me shout and then he heard the bang and he probably thought, oh no. And he didn't have to scrape me off the pavement. So he was very, very happy about that. But he dealt with it all. He asked me a couple of questions and one uh, are you okay? <laughs> and I was reasonably okay. And, um, and then I suppose it was a question about, are you going to press charges about medical damage? Sort of sue the other person. And no, I was just so happy to have bounced. There's no way I was wanting to sort of pursue this in any way, but just trying to explore this after. The people who do um, bike insurance, um, and uh, one of the companies that I rang up, uh, they didn't really want to take the case unless I was going to do a medical claim because there was no money in it for them. In the end, my insurance company is going to look after it and I'll probably get a new bike, but I don't want to claim for the whiplash I haven't had, which might have paid a few salaries. All of us, it's really tempting, could do with the money, it's really tempting to build a story and within life to say things that are to our advantage but God knows are not right. Um, to quote Pete Scazzaro, Jesus understood that you can't build his kingdom on lies and pretense. Only truth will do. Acts 5 underlines this kingdom principle. Then Peter said... Ananias, how is it that Satan so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself the sum of the money that you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to human, human beings, but to God. Just in conclusion, thinking about a holy church that was birthed at Pentecost, uh, thinking about ourselves being temples of God's Holy Spirit, my final point is, come Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is powerfully present in the early church, and the same Holy Spirit is a work amongst us here this evening. They experienced God the Holy Spirit at work in preaching, in prophecy, in revelation, in the boldness they had, in healing, in other signs and wonders. God the Holy Spirit was at the heart of their worship and prayer and fellowship. We too are called to be in God's holy presence and we long or should long to experience more of this.
God the Holy Spirit longs for us to be his holy people within a holy church. Post-Pentecost, and I've already said this, each believer is called to be a holy temple for the Holy Spirit. After seeing what happened to Ananias and Sapphira, some, probably a lot of people, were seized by fear. Interestingly, our Bible passage also recounts that as a result of this shocking incident, more men and women were attracted to Jesus and believed in him and made him their Lord and Savior. The ill were brought to the apostles and were healed. Their faith in God's power was so strong that they were even laying people on beds and mats so the shadow of Peter and others might go past and heal them. Those tormented by impure spirits were set free. How's the God, God the Holy Spirit, at work in you? How would you like him to be at work in this church? We make it our ambition to meet with God, his holy presence, alone and together. And I think we can leave some of the kingdom building more confidently in his hands. So, I'm going to close with prayer now. Um, Some of you might have heard this prayer before. I've got three prayers and I prayed them at Pentecost. Let's pray. So in the light of all that we know about you, God, and much is a mystery, come Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.